Hi guys, it's Paul here, and you're listening to Long Form Software. Please remember to subscribe to this podcast or to add this podcast to your RSS feed if you're enjoying the content that I'm putting out. Today, I'd like to talk to you about cookies and how you're tracked online. Browser cookies, technically referred to as HTTP cookies, or more commonly known as simply cookies, are small pieces of data sent from a website and stored on a user's computer by the user's web browser while the user is browsing, while they're going from page to page. Cookies are designed to be a reliable mechanism for websites to remember stateful information or to record the user's browser activity. Cookies are very common and your computer likely has hundreds of them right now saved by your browser. So what, you may ask, exactly is a cookie? Well, cookies are small files of data that normally consist of key value pairs. The key being the name of the information and the value being the actual information value. A cookie has a name, so this will be stored as a key value pair. This name is stored with a key of name and a value of the name of the cookie. So for example, name and user identification. The cookie will have a content section, a key value pair for its content. The key of this will be content, and the value of this will be the content of the cookie. In this case, the case of a cookie whose name is user identification, this content key value pair um, would contain the user ID, or the long alphanumeric string and Alphanumeric means uh, numbers and alphabet uh, letters. Um, this would be the content of this user identification cookie. This cookie will also specify a domain, for example, Amazon.com. A cookie is normally connected with its source domain in such a way that the information stored in the cookie can only be accessed by the source domain and no other domain. The cookie also contains a send for key value pair. It's called, its name is send for. Um, and this uh, specifies the type of connection uh, you know, for example, HTTP or HTTPS, the type of connection that the cookie's information can be sent over. 
um, this key value pair is used in types of cookies, for example, like secure cookies and HTTP cookies, or HTTP only cookies, excuse me. Cookies also contain an expiration date and time for when the cookie is to be expired and therefore deleted. So there are different types of cookies and I alluded to them seconds ago as two examples being secure cookies and uh, the other being HTTP only cookies. But they are some of the less used. Let's talk about um, the most used cookies going from the most common um, and then we'll, get, we'll go a little bit more uncommon but towards the ultimate cookie type that is the goal of this or the topic of this podcast. But before we get there, we'll start with a type of cookie called session cookies. Session cookies are the most basic and widely used type of cookie. These are cookies that help to identify when you log in HTTP is a stateless protocol, which means that the web application servers respond to the client requests without linking multiple requests to any one client for the security and or functioning of many applications. Many web application systems and features depend on being able to distinguish between users and to recognize who they are and their permissions and authorization levels. These are problems that are solved with the use of session tokens. When a user logs in to a web application, the web application may choose to use session-based authentication. Now in short, session-based authentication is an authentication choice, a choice taken by the company or developer that created the website or web application, where the server does most of the work on its side, on the server side. When the user logs in, they receive a quote unquote session underscore ID, which is stored in the form of a cookie on the user's web browser. When the user makes a subsequent request to the server, this session ID is sent with the request either as a URL parameter, such as www.amazon.com forward slash profile question mark session underscore ID equals and then the actual ID of the user. That is how a session ID would be transmitted as a URL parameter. The alternative to this 
is in the body of a POST request. This ID is just used purely for identification and the server side of the web application the user is using does the rest. Now, other methods of authentication and authorization I can go into in another podcast. It's a great topic with many interesting choices in implementation for developers. Anyway, these session cookies expire or are deleted when you close the browser. So the type of cookie, known as session cookies, are used to store session-related information, such as a session ID, and they are uh, supposed to and are used to uh, only be in existence for the duration of your browser being opened and then closed. And when it's closed, the session cookies expire and are deleted by the browser as part of its closing process. The next type of cookie are known as first-party cookies. First-party cookies are persistent cookies. They are semi-permanent cookies. These cookies are not deleted when the browser is closed or when the session ends or the browser ends, the process ends. First-party cookies are used to store information that is useful to the user, information that is useful to you. Think user preferences. When you are on a website and wish to change preferences, such as language, light mode, dark mode, or turning off and on notifications or something else, one of the ways of doing so and to save this information is for the web application to use browser cookies and first party cookies in particular. This way, the developer of the website or the company behind the website do not need to persist this data on the server side incurring the cost of extra storage or the general overhead and effort in doing so. This, of course, means that when you log in to your account from a completely different computer, you will not have the same preferences and the website will not have the same settings you had set before on a different computer and that you want now. If you want that and the developer or company behind the web application wants that too, they will have to persist that on their side. But that's the trade-off in storing this information as a browser cookie. This information stays on the browser it was saved to. First-party cookies are generally set to expire in a year or two. They are long-term cookies, but not permanent. Hence, when I previously stated that they were semi-permanent. First-party cookies 
are also used for more long-term kinds of authentication. Longer lasting tokens that contain much more information than session cookies. Session cookies only identify you as nothing else, remember? First party cookies used for authentication store more information. Now I won't get into long lasting tokens. I refer you back to where I mentioned um, I could talk about other types of authentication or authorization in another podcast. I want to keep this on topic. So let's continue. Let's just say that first party cookies are used in authentication so that you, the user, does not need to re-enter login information every time you visit the page. It's very handy. These first party cookies have to match the domain that they came from. So they aren't tracking cookies. First party cookies are not tracking cookies. Third party cookies are the next type of cookie. These are the scary cookies, the tracking cookies, the privacy violating cookies. Third party cookies don't have to originate from the domain you're currently browsing. They don't need to be saved by the domain you're currently browsing for the domain you are currently browsing to access the data. So they don't strictly provide you with any of the benefits of session cookies and first party cookies. These cookies generally have one purpose. It's to track you and what you do on the internet. These cookies can log many things. They can log your browsing history, which website you go to, which pages on the websites you go to, and so on. Third party cookies can track your online behavior, your demographics, and importantly, your spending habits. If you, the user, buy a product on one website, they are probably logging that information for themselves. That's natural. I think everybody can understand that. But they are likely capturing this information and sending it somewhere else. They've either been paid to do this or it benefits them in some other way. These third party cookies are a favorite with advertising companies. So there are other types of cookies. The big ones are known as secure cookies that are only received over and sent back over secure connections. There are HTTP cookies that can only be sent and received over HTTP secured um, requests and connections. And there are flash cookies. But for this podcast, I won't get into those. So most citizens in the EU are aware of the new European Union regulation that was implemented on the 25th of May 
in 2018 named GDPR. GDPR is an acronym for the General Data Protection Regulation. What is GDPR? It's, as I said, an EU regulation or a regulatory legislation that is intended to protect, protect online privacy, um, something third-party cookies are used to abuse. GDPR requires four actions from the website owners who use cookies, and they are as follows. When someone visits your website, the website owner must let them know that your site uses cookies, that the website owner's site uses cookies. You must tell people this. The second action that GDPR states is the follows, as follows. You need to provide detailed information regarding how that cookie data will be utilized. The third action required by GDPR is as follows. You need to provide visitors with some means of accepting or ref refusing the use of cookies in your website. And the fourth action that GDPR um, requires is that, quote, if they refuse, you need to ensure that cookies will not be placed on their machines. So, as you can see, the existence and use of cookies by corporations and web applications is a serious privacy issue. The power of browser cookies to invade your privacy for the purpose of data collections and advertising is massive. This is really must-know stuff. As we've talked about before, not all cookies are bad. Session cookies and first-party cookies are in most use cases uh, essential for the proper functioning of the website. The EU has understood this and made an exception for cookies that are, quote, strictly necessary, end quote, to fulfill the services requested by the site users. So how do websites and appli web applications send and save cookies to your browser. The IETF, which stands for Internet Engineering Task Force, released what they call an RFC. This uh, in turn means Request for Comments, RFC, Request for Comments, for a proposed standard in 2011. This RFC uh, has a number, they number all of their RFCs, um, and this one is 6265. If you would like to look it up yourself, you just put that into your browser, into Google, into Bing, into DuckDuckDuckGo, which it doesn't save all of your information. I would highly recommend DuckDuckGo as an alternative to Google. Uh, you just put in RFC 6265. The title of this RFC is um, HTTP state management mechanism. And this RFC describes how this is done using the set cookie, that's in quotes, set dash cookie HTTP header. 
This header is used to send cookies from the server to the user agent. The RFC describes a list of acceptable grammar for these set cookie response headers. Informally, they consist of a header name of quote, set dash cookie, unquote, followed by a colon, and then the cookie itself, the cookie to set or save to a user agent's local browser and computer. To reiterate what a cookie generally is, a cookie begins with a name value pair, followed by zero or more attribute value pairs. It's data, and it is collected in a file, and that file consists of these key value pairs. These headers, set cookie and so on, described in the RFC 6265, tell the browser, and remember that a browser is just a computer program used to access, to render, and to allow the user to interact with websites that are on a remote server over the internet. And these headers tell the browser to save the cookie to the user's machine. So next, I would like to use a case study to talk about cookies and how they track you using cookies. And for this case study, I'm going to use Facebook. Facebook has a cookie policy where they inform you why they use cookies and what they use the cookie information for. Of course, they may not be telling the absolute truth and may be omitting details you would deem important and they would deem not important or important to not seem to be important to you. However, regardless, this policy is available online at their website. I will leave the URL of this policy in the text of this podcast for your perusal. I'm going to read some of it for you. Facebook use cookies to, to help us provide, protect, and improve the Facebook products, such as by personalizing content, tailoring and measuring ads, and providing a safer experience. While the cookies we use may change from time to time as we improve and update the Facebook products, we use them in the following purposes. So this is all me quoting Facebook. And I will continue to quote Facebook by reading their policies on cookies in case you choose not to look this up yourself. Authentication, and I quote, we use cookies to verify your account and determine when you're logged in so we can make it easier for you to access Facebook products and show you the appropriate experience and features. 
For example, and they give an example, we use cookies to keep you logged in as you navigate between Facebook pages. Um, as I discussed before, these are, this is functionality that session cookies and first party cookies provide you and that they are the type of cookies that Facebook would be using for handling their authentication. I continue to quote from Facebook's policy. They use cookies for security, site and product integrity. We use cookies to help you keep your account data and Facebook products safe and secure. They give an example. Cookies can help us identify and impose additional security features when someone may be attempting to access a Facebook account without, without authorization. For instance, by rapidly guessing different passwords. This is, I'm not quoting anymore, this is um, also known as a dictionary attack. This is also something that I would be very interested in doing a podcast about security and ways that people can crack your security and passwords. Nevertheless, I'll continue. We also use cookies to store information that allows us to recover your account in the event that you forget your password or to require additional authentication if you tell us that your account has been hacked. We also use cookies to combat activity that violates our policies or otherwise degrades our ability to provide the Facebook products. They give an example. Facebook uses cookies to fight spam and phishing attacks by enabling us to identify computers that are used to create large numbers of Facebook accounts, face, fake Facebook accounts in particular. And I continue to quote, we also use cookies to detect computers infected with malware and to take steps to prevent them from causing further harm. Cookies also help us prevent underage people from registering for Facebook accounts. And I'm not quoting anymore, but that's a particularly creepy and invasive way of using cookies. I mentioned earlier that third-party cookies save, collect, and send back to a server somewhere information regarding your demographic. You know, what gender you are, what sex you are, what age you are, where you live, the language you speak, and so on. And this is a great example of Facebook admitting that they use this information. Um, now, in this case, of course, preventing underage people from registering Facebook accounts um, is, is a, an understandable way of using data, but the fact that they had that data collected is worrying. I'll continue anyway. This is getting into the interesting part of cookies, so I'll quote here. Advertising, recommendations, insight, and measurement. We use cookies to help us show ads and to make recommendations for businesses and other organizations to people who may be interested in the products, 
services, or causes they promote. For example, cookies allow us to help deliver ads to people who are previously who have previously visited a business's website, purchased its products, or used its apps, and to recommend products and services based on that activity. Cookies allow us to limit the number of times that you see an ad so that you don't see the same ad over and over again. And I'll stop quoting now. <laughs> the last part is pretty cheeky. Uh, they are presenting that like it is a benefit to you, as if you care that you're seeing the same ad over and over again. They're presenting it as if it's benefiting you when actuality, when in actuality, um, when they say that, quote, cookies also allow us to limit the number of times that you see an ad so you don't need to see the same ad over and over again, um, unquote. Facebook are saying that it is much more efficient for their business partners and their ad campaigns if they can track what ads you've seen. Note that they say see, it doesn't mean interact with Facebook and third party um, cookies collect and track the fact that you have seen an ad so they use tracking of your scrolling and tracking of what is rendered onto your browser as a as an angle to track what you're seeing and your experience on their website. You do not need to even click on something or be redirected to a website for cookies to track things about what you're doing. So I'll continue to quote here. We also use cookies to help measure the performance of ad campaigns for businesses that use the Facebook products. For example, we use cookies to count the number of times that an ad is shown and calculate the cost of those ads. We also use cookies to measure how many people do things such as click on or view ads. Cookies help us serve and measure ads across different browsers and devices used by the same person. For example, we use cookies to prevent you from seeing the same ad over and over again across different devices that you use. This is Facebook collecting data using third-party cookies assigning this data to a unique ID associated with your account and linking this data with other data that they have collected about you when you are using a different browser or a different computer or you're in a completely different geographic location. This is a unification of collected data that is being stored underneath your Facebook ID. I'll continue to quote. Cookies also allow us to provide insights about the people who use Facebook products, as well as the people who interact with the ads, websites, and apps for our advertisers and the businesses that use the Facebook products. We also use cookies to help you opt out of seeing ads, and so on and so forth. 
site features and services. I'll continue. We use cookies to enable the functionality that helps us to provide Facebook products. So now we're not talking about third party um, cookies anymore. We are talking about first party cookies. They give us an example. I'll quote the example and then talk after it. Quote, for example, cookies help us store preferences, know when you've seen or interacted with Facebook products content and provide you with customized content and experiences. For instance, cookies allow us to make suggestions to you and others and to customize content on third party sites that integrate our social plugins. If you are a, so a page administrator, cookies allow you to switch between posting from your personal Facebook account and the page." Unquote. So this is the, the useful stuff, um, which is um, used by first party cookies. And these are fine, that's good. Being able to store your personal preferences um, that is stored on your local computer and local browser and is not persisted on the Facebook side. Facebook also say that they use cookies for performance reasons. So a lot of information going to this, and I'll quote, we use cookies to provide you with the best experience possible. For example, cookies help us route traffic between servers and understand how quickly Facebook products load for different people. Cookies also help us record the ratio and dimensions of your screen and windows to know whether you've enabled high contrast mode so that we can render our sites and apps correctly. Unquote. So Facebook are also using cookies for performance, measuring all of their load times, the time it takes for requests to complete from the time that the request was made to the time that the request was received back at your computer after doing the round trip from your computer to a Facebook data center and from the Facebook data center back to your computer. But they will also store things like the ratio and dimensions of your screen and windows. I'm not saying that the ratio of your screen and windows is a private piece of information that you would like to keep to yourself. But I don't think a lot of people know that services will or have the capability of recording that type of information. The last use for cookies that Facebook say in their policy is analytics and research. And I'll quote here. We use cookies to better understand how people use the Facebook products so that we can improve them. For example, Facebook can help us understand how people use the Facebook service, analyze which part of the Facebook products people find most useful and engaging, and identify features that can be improved." Unquote. By analyzing uh, and collecting of the data required for this analytics and research, Facebook are using cookies to record what parts of Facebook you are looking at, how far down the timeline you're scrolling. 
if you spend more time in pictures and photograph albums, or if you spend more time in the buy and sell section of the website, or in certain groups, or the fact that you're making groups into the you know the webs uh, the event um, creator, and so on and so forth. What you are looking at and what is on your screen is all being recorded from where you're looking at, what page you're on, um, what your cursor is on, what you're clicking, how long you're spending there, um, who you are interacting with, how you are interacting with them, how long you are spending interacting with them. Every aspect of your experience on Facebook is being recorded and analyzed and used for many different things from analytics and research to improving the experience to performance to site features and services and for advertising recommendations insights and measurement so i'd like to introduce as well a product of facebook this is one of the ways that they collect information when you are not on facebook this is a topic that I think has become more into the public eye recently. The fact that you are being tracked when you are not on a website. For example, Facebook can track you when you are not on Facebook.com, WhatsApp, or Instagram. And the way that Facebook does this is with a product called Facebook Pixel. Facebook Pixel is code that you can add and when i when i say you i mean a developer or somebody who has a website or somebody who owns a website who can get somebody else to install this but it is a piece of code that you can place on your website that collects and sends to facebook data that helps them track conversions from facebook ads that help them to optimize ads based on your data and to build targeted audiences for future ad campaigns and to um, keep track of actions that you've done on the website that the Facebook business partners would like you to take action on. Facebook Pixel's tracking data helps to ensure a Facebook partner and the Facebook partner's ads are seen by the people who are most likely to take the desired action, such as buy the business, uh, business partner's product or go to a business partner's blog or to subscribe to their Instagram. And when I'm talking about a business partner or a business or a Facebook business partner, what I mean is somebody who is in a, and it doesn't matter if it's a large or complicated or highly monetized relationship with Facebook, but it is somebody or a corporation or a group of people who pay Facebook to show advertisements for them. So this tracking using Facebook Pixel allows Facebook partners to improve 
their Facebook ad money to outcome conversion rate so that they get better ROI, which means return on investment. Facebook defines their pixel, quote unquote pixel, as a, and I'll quote here, an analytical tool that allows you to measure the effectiveness of your advertising by understanding the actions that people take on your website, unquote. Take from that as you will. But the knowledge of data collection and tracking we've previously learned, uh, using that, this is most definitely not a good thing for your privacy. I'll restate the definition of Facebook Pixel because I feel like you'd want to read it again if you were reading what I'm saying, but you're not, so I'll say it again. Quote, Facebook Pixel is an analytics tool that allows you to measure the effectiveness of your advertising by understanding the actions that people take on your website. Unquote. Facebook allows different and many different ways to target users for advertising. When you or a Facebook partner pays Facebook a certain amount of money for advertising, what you or they are paying for is a cash to impression transaction. For cash, your advertisement will make an impression on a user. And I believe that an impression in this context means that the ad has appeared to a end user. Now, continuing on, Facebook rewards advertisers for posting relevant ads. If one of Facebook's business partners wants to or wishes to optimize this transaction, this business transaction, this cash to impression transaction, um, they will want to target their ads in the most efficient way possible. This way, they will effectively be charged less per impression if there are positive interactions between the end user and the ad, such as a click-through, so when there is an ad and you click on the ad and you go through that ad into the business partner's website or blog or Instagram and so on, or a like of the ad or a share of the ad. Because on Facebook, the ads are actually likable and shareable as I have no idea why somebody would like to share an ad, but you can even act as a force multiplier for an ad by exposing this ad uh, to uh, people in your network. So how do people set up Facebook Pixel on their websites? It's very, very simple. The Facebook Pixel is a small block of code. It is only, I think, five lines. It is, it is minimized JavaScript. So it is JavaScript, uh, you know, encased within script blocks. Um, and then there's a minimized, and I think a certain amount of obfuscation has been applied to this code. Um, I think they're just, they were trying very hard to make it a very small amount of code. 
to make it more appealing for people to put it onto their website, but I'm digressing here. The small block of code is embedded on a web page that passes a Facebook cookie back to Facebook servers. If you are a developer or you are a person who owns a website, this small piece of Facebook code must be embedded in the in every web page of your website so that Facebook can pass the Facebook cookie back to the Facebook servers. This cookie is used to check if the user is also a Facebook user. So this cookie checks if the user is also a Facebook user. It communicates back to the Facebook servers and verifies whether the person on the other website is a Facebook user. It makes that request and checks that and replies back from the Facebook servers back to the website that you are on currently. Why? Well, Facebook will allow a partner to target advertising to the user associated with that page view on your website. The user who changes the partner website code has a very easy copy paste job in installing the Facebook code. The developer must locate the HTML header for their website by locating the head HTML tags. They will then locate the header template um, or they will locate the header template in their uh, CMS or their web platform. And they simply copy and paste the entire pixel code into the header. That's it. Then they verify it's working and that there is information being sent using this small piece of code. And that's it. It appears in their Facebook UI for their their business facing UI page. Now their website is tracking users information, behavior, habits, and communicating it all back to Facebook. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. And I hope that you've come through learning more than you thought that you would. I hope that you know now what a browser cookie is. I hope that you remember that there are different types of browser cookies, that there are good types, very legitimate uses and essential uses for browser cookies, but that there are worse types of browser cookies, third-party cookies, And I hope that you have taken away something from the use of a um, of a use case of a case study more like Um, and understand that while Facebook may use cookies in an inappropriate manner and in a manner that may be um, in the future restricted further by the EU and other uh, regulatory bodies in the world that you understand that Facebook are not the only people doing this. There are many different companies who use third-party cookies to record information about you and that use other kinds of cookies to record information about you even when you are not on the website in question. 
A lot of companies that do this are social network companies and companies that do not charge you for the use of their platform. Have you ever wondered how Facebook makes its money? Maybe you would know now because it has been in the media, but you know, six, seven, eight years ago, 10 years ago, is Facebook even around 10 years? Let's just say five years ago, okay, be safe. Even five years ago, I highly doubt people took the time out to wonder how such a huge and global service such as Facebook makes money. When you do not know, and when it's not obvious where and how a company makes money, the product and the source of money is always you. Thank you for listening to Long Form Software. This podcast is available on Player FM, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, and Spotify. After a few episodes, this podcast will also be available on Apple Music or Apple Podcasts. Please subscribe or add this podcast to your RSS feed if you'd like to listen to some more episodes.